0: I'm hoping that, you know, we're beginning to turn a corner and that we, we discuss mental illness in ways that aren't associated simply with a crime, but with a, a general state of being, because we know many, many, many people suffer from mental illness of various degrees and of various types. And the more we talk about it, the more I think people might feel encouraged to get help. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard. And calling into the show today, we have Emmy Award winning journalist Elizabeth Vargas. She is currently the host of America's Most Wanted and previously hosted the hit news magazine show 2020 for 15 years, among many other TV journalism endeavors. Elizabeth, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
1: I want to say up front that I live with bipolar disorder. So that's my frame of reference. So when the media portrayal of everyone who is violent is, well, that they must have some sort of mental illness, it makes my life and the, the lives of other people who are living with mental illness very, very difficult. Now, I am not a journalist. I'm I'm a podcast host, but you are a journalist. As a journalist, I, I'd like your perspective on why the media continues to promote the stereotype that all violence comes from people with mental illness.
0: Well, I'm not entirely sure that that's absolutely true. Uh, the media doesn't portray all violence as stemming from mental illness. There's lots of violence that the media covers that where mental illness is never mentioned, However, there are instances like in New York City when a mentally ill man shoved a woman in front of a subway and killed her. And in that case, um, it goes to the heart of a a very big issue here in New York City with mental illness and the way the city treats it, especially in the homeless population. Um, There's been a lot of criticism that the city doesn't do enough to help people who are mentally ill and living on the streets. So I'm not, entirely sure I see plenty of coverage of violence where you know mental illness is never mentioned. I am happy that as a result I think of this awful pandemic that we're seeing more coverage in the media about mental illness in general because so many people are now coming forward to say they suffer from anxiety and depression, especially in the pandemic. It's been exacerbated. We know that to be true based on research. So I, I'm hoping that you know we're beginning to turn a corner and that we, we discuss mental illness in ways that aren't associated simply with a crime, but with a, a general state of being. Because we know many, many, many people suffer from mental illness of various degrees and of various types. And the more we talk about it, the more I think people might feel encouraged to get help.
1: I do understand what you're saying, that it is an exaggeration to say that it is always that way. Because you're right. It's not 100% of the time, but it it is quite often. And, and to our community, it does feel like it's always that way. Now, I understand that feelings aren't facts, but what do you think about the way that the media frequently portrays acts of mass violence. Invariably, if there is a school shooting, the news will say, well, what mental illness do they have? What mental health crisis? And have they seen a therapist? And do they rely on meds? There is just a lot of immediate talk or speculation on the suspect's mental health or mental illness. And that puts my community, the the mental health community, on the defensive right away, because stigma and discrimination against people with mental illness is a real, real problem for us.
0: Well, you can only look at the numbers to see that millions and millions of people struggle with mental illness and mental health. That is a fact. I'm on the board of directors of the Partnership to End Addiction, and we track these numbers closely, and we know this to be true. Yet those millions and millions of people, the vast majority of them, never commit any sort of crime or any act of violence. You can't say just because you're mentally ill, you're going to commit an act of violence. That's, you know, that's just... A silly and and ridiculous sort of conclusion to draw. However, people who go in, for example, and shoot up the school often are suffering from some sort of mental illness. You can just see that to be true. So to ignore that is to ignore the story. I think it's unrealistic to expect the media to report on school shootings and not report that that young man or young woman usually a young man um, has been suffering from some sort of mental illness, but that doesn't mean that all people who suffer from mental illness will commit acts of violence. In fact, the vast majority suffer, many of them, most of them in silence uh, without ever committing a crime. I'm really not, I don't buy into the premise that every time the media covers mental health or mental illness, that it's saying that all acts of violence are because somebody was mentally ill
1: I understand what you are saying, but this is how my community feels. We, we feel like we are always being called out and criticized surrounding violence. Now, you are a m- member of the board of directors for the Partnership to End Addiction, and you are a successful and prominent journalist. Can you tell our audience, from your perspective, what can we do to make this better, to help the members of my community lessen this feeling of being attacked? Listen,
0: the media can just report the story. In a case of, a, a you brought up a school shooting. In that case, in many uh, of the tragedies that occurred with these mass shootings, there is documented evidence that the, the shooter suffered from mental illness. That Those are the facts, and the media reports the facts of the story. Where I think the media can do a much better job is reporting on mental health overall and mental illness as an issue in this culture and in this society, in this country, in the world right now, in a way that isn't related to any crime. And I think you're seeing more of that. I mean, there's been a lot of reporting done in the newspapers, for sure, about the fact that so many people are suffering right now from anxiety and depression. The numbers are off the charts during this pandemic. We know this to be true. And in fact, it's been reported. So that's where I think the media can do a better job. It helps destigmatize mental health and mental illness. And by destigmatizing it, you can talk about what people can do to get help and people will be more willing to reach out and get help and admit they have a problem to somebody else. And I'm not just a journalist, I'm somebody who suffered from anxiety for my entire life and I wrote a book about it and was very open about it. And you're seeing more and more people being open about the fact that they suffer from anxiety or depression. And that's a good thing. You know, I didn't admit to anybody for a very, very long time, decades of my life, that I had anxiety because I was ashamed of it. And it was only after hearing other people talk openly about it that I decided I could as well.
1: One of the criticisms of all the talk about mental health in the media is well, mental health is getting a lot of conversation, which is fantastic, and I, I agree with you, it is absolutely fantastic, mental illness, serious and persistent mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, hallucination, psychosis is getting less media attention. What is the conversation that we can have surrounding that? Because as you said, in, in New York City, just using your example from the top of the show, Homelessness is everywhere. I I was just in Los Angeles and homelessness is everywhere and nobody cares. There's no media attention. Nobody's even talking about it. And I'm just watching hundreds of people walk past suffering humans, myself included. I want to be perfectly honest, just walking right past going about my day. And this, this person has no resources, no home, and nobody's even talking about it. What can we do to sway the conversation back that way?
0: Well, I actually think people are talking about it. There's been a lot of coverage here in New York City on the homeless issue. And I know that I'm in L.A. a lot for work and I have very close friends who live in L.A. And I don't see what the local news is doing in L.A. But I know that amongst my friends, it's a constant conversation point because they see it. I think the bigger problem is nobody knows what to do about it. It's It's a difficult, thorny issue. And I can just speak from personal experience here in in New York City, that part of the problem is paying for shelters, trying to get people the treatment, you know, when you're talking about the homeless mentally ill population often don't want treatment. Do you force people into treatment? How long can you force them into treatment? We constantly, for example, the the man who committed this homicide allegedly, but it was in front of a lot of witnesses. By shoving the woman in front of the subway, had been in and out of uh, not only the jail system, but the hospital system. But it raises all sorts of thorny issues. At what point do you force people to get help? Can you force somebody to get help? And those aren't easy questions and those aren't easy issues. Uh, We have a history, you know, decades and decades ago when we did force people against their will into hospitals psychiatric hospitals, and all sorts of abuses and horrific things happen. So it's not an easy fix. I don't think people, the media, are ignoring the issue because I can tell you I, I read about the stories in the newspapers all the time. In our recent mayoral campaign, it was a huge issue, and it continues to be a huge issue for our new mayor. It's not that people aren't talking about it, and it's not that the media isn't reporting it. It's that it's a really difficult thorny issue. There are no easy answers, and unfortunately, when you have tragedies like the the murder of the woman, people get frightened, and when people are frightened, um, sometimes clear thought, you know, is the first thing that gets set
1: aside. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to nocd.com to learn more. That's nocd.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show
0: with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist.
1: That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder.
0: Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com
1: IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with Emmy award-winning journalist Elizabeth Vargas discussing portrayals of mental illness in the media. Do you believe that we as a society are just quick to blame the media because holding the other people accountable is just much too difficult?
0: Oh, listen, I think the media gets blamed for a lot of things. And the media is guilty of a lot of things. I don't think the media is guilty of saying that everybody who has schizophrenia or bipolar disorder is homicidal. And I don't think the media is ignoring the issue of homelessness. And you can't ask a free press to edit out pertinent, germane information, like the man who shoved the woman in front of the subway and killed her was mentally ill and had a history of mental illness. The media has to do a good job in reporting all the facts fairly and providing context. So if people are somehow feeling like the media is saying that everybody who's schizophrenic or bipolar is also homicidal, I have never seen that said anywhere.
1: Is it possible that part of the issue that we have here is that the word media has expanded just too far? I mean, we're, we're long past the days of, uh, I, I hate to say real journalism because it, it it gets people's cackles up and it makes them uh, offended. But we literally have news sources that cater to what people already believe. Uh, I mean, we have conservative news outlets. We have liberal news outlets and and I just I think to myself, you know, I took a journalism class. We're not supposed to have left and right media. we're We're just supposed to yeah. have facts on facts on facts. So is part of this problem that people are like, hey, I listen to Joe Rogan. that's the media, therefore the media said X
0: you bring up an excellent point. And stepping aside for a second on the political slant of right wing versus left wing, social media right now, you know, that's the word, social media. If you want to include in the media Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, you bet anybody can post something on those platforms. Anyone. And yes, Joe Rogan, uh who is wildly popular, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing he didn't go to journalism school and didn't take all the law classes and the ethics classes that we all take. And he doesn't report the news. He has a podcast uh, in which he says, I'm sure, a lot of interesting things to his audience. But you're absolutely right. You know, there are all sorts of studies that show that the, the new generation coming up, millennials and that sort of thing, get their news from YouTube. These platforms are not the same thing. There is, there is not an equivalency between what you're reading on Facebook and what you're reading in the New York Times. I can tell you as a journalist who spent decades at the network level that everything we reported on ABC News and when I was at NBC News and even when I spent my years in local news, you know, was vetted by lawyers. You know, I would do 10 interviews, for example, for an episode of 2020. Those interviews would be transcribed, The lawyers would look through every word of those transcribed interviews, would look through all of my research, and it's like somebody over my shoulder checking to make sure I haven't drawn a conclusion that isn't fair and isn't accurate. And then we had a standards person who did the same thing, who made sure the context was appropriate and fair. These other platforms don't do that. So when people begin to lump in, you know, when they say media, quote unquote, and they include in that what they're reading on Facebook which can be posted by anyone anywhere and sometimes is very valuable you know when you've got somebody in a war zone you've got somebody in a disaster zone going on to Facebook and writing about what they see we might not be able to get there that's a great witness account but it's not a journalistic account nobody has vetted that in any way shape or form yes when you talk about you know, the media portrayal of mental illness. Certainly, I'm talking about media coverage of mental illness from the standpoint of those organizations that are true media organizations, but there is a huge gray area. In fact, the gray area is now bigger than the black and white area where we have standards and legal experts um, overseeing and other eyes, It's not me alone writing my script. I have producers and associate producers and an executive producer, and we all argue about what's the best way. Is that fair? I don't think that's accurate. It's a robust argument in those rooms on the piece before it ever gets to air.
1: From your perspective as as a journalist, what would you recommend to the people listening when they're thinking... How can they vet their news sources? Because this is also a a constant, constant debate. Where do you get your news? That place isn't real. And every single news source under the sun is considered fake news to somebody.
0: Right. Well, part of that is what's happening in our culture right now. We are highly polarized. The debate, the public debate over everything from voting rights to Substance use disorder, to mental health, to crime, to my gosh, every single thing you can think of is now being discussed through a lens that is highly partisan and highly d- divided and highly polarized. It's not the first time in our nation's history that we've been in a place like this. I think it's important to understand that it's not unprecedented. But if I had a dollar for every time I told one of my kids, don't believe everything you read online, you know, I would, (laughs) I'd be able to put them through college and, and uh, easily. I tell people all the time uh, when I speak to graduating classes of journalists and, and others, I tell them all the time, read everything you can get your hands on and make sure it's not all the same thing. Don't read the New York Times and the Washington Post, maybe read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal to get two different editorial perspectives. I watch and read a variety of sources and I make sure that I'm not just in one silo because I think we all know that the more educated we are and the more we hear from other points of view, the better off we are.
1: Elizabeth, this is kind of a big question, but in your opinion, how can the media help with this problem? How can members of the media help improve public education on mental illness?
0: Wow. That's a great question. Obviously, uh, you know, it's a big issue. It's bigger now than it's ever been. And, you know, if there's a silver lining in the awful pandemic, it's that people are talking openly. I think because so many people are suffering from it, we've reached a critical mass perspective. I would hope the media would do more to cover those stories, not just how many people are suffering and what that looks like, but how you can get help. And I, and I do see it. I mean, I see it in my, my feed every morning. There was a, an article that popped up yesterday in the New York times about how exercise can help anxiety. Something I already knew because I both suffer from anxiety and I exercise a lot. And I know I'm very familiar with the endorphin high and how that helps, but anything like that, I, I think the more it becomes just a normal part of conversation the more people will feel less ashamed and more empowered to speak up and say, I'm having a hard time. You know, I remember when I was working at ABC News and we were covering, for example, after Sandy Hook, the terrible, terrible school shooting that happened out in Connecticut, um, ABC News offered counseling. They put out an email because covering that story was traumatic. There were a lot of people covering that story who were parents with kids and to watch the agony, the utter agony of those parents, you know, they needed help after that. And there was a time decades ago, not even decades ago, just years ago, news organizations didn't offer counseling to their employees who were out seeing these things. We go out and we cover war zones. We see death. We see starvation. We see awful things that we then try and tell the story and often can't even tell you everything we saw because it's too graphic or too much. And, and I remember in the last couple of years that I was at ABC news, they started a daily meditation every day at noon. There was a meditation that the employees could go to. So I think the more that not just media companies, but all companies start to recognize that mental health is a real issue And addressing it properly will only increase the productivity of their employees and and the happiness of their workforce and will normalize it, normalize the fact that these are real issues for real people. When you talk about schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it, the more we talk about the fact that there are many people out there living productive, amazing lives who have these conditions and take medication for it. And they're fine. The more that uh, we mainstream it, the better off we'll all be.
1: I could not agree with that sentiment more. I do think that we need more open conversations. And I'm, I'm glad that we were able to sit down and have this conversation because so many people in the mental health community just very, very much feel that the media vilifies us. And its I know it's very black and white thinking, so to give you the opportunity to help us understand, explain it to us, and, and uh, challenge that thinking is extraordinarily powerful. Thank you, thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And I would just, there's very little in life that's black and white, basically <laughs> death. <laughs> um, most of life are shades of gray, and there's always room for improvement, definitely from the media. I think in today's world and landscape, when quote unquote, the media encompasses so much that really isn't a traditional media with training and legal expertise and standards and ethics, that there's a lot of room for criticism. And I think that it's important to have these conversations. Um, The more we talk about it, the better off I think we'll all be.
1: Elizabeth, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Before I end the recording, is there any question that I didn't ask you or anything that you would like to say on this subject before we end?
0: No, I just want to make sure that you make sure that all these answers are in context because this is a very nuanced subject.
1: Yes, absolutely. That is is very important to me because I, I want to make sure that people don't see me as some like tabloid podcaster i want to be as popular as joe rogan but i don't want to say that horse tranquilizers cure (laughs) covid Uh, yeah 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 well elizabeth on that note thank you so so much for being here where can our listeners find more of you on the web
0: yes i have a podcast called heart of the matter that i do to my work on the partnership and addiction you can find that on apple and spotify um, and we talk about mental health and substance use disorder. And I have a book called Between Breaths, which I wrote about my battle with anxiety and addiction and how I used alcohol to medicate, self-medicate my own anxiety and, and found a, a healthier way to deal with my anxiety.
1: That's awesome. Obviously, the, the podcast is on your favorite podcast players. I'm sure it's everywhere. And the book is uh, no doubt on Amazon.
0: Yes, anywhere, bookstores as well. But yes, of course, it's on Amazon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for for being so honest.
0: It was very good to talk to you.
1: And a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as an award-winning public speaker who may be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me over at GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It's absolutely free. And hey, do me a favor. Recommend the show to your friends, family, or colleagues, whether it's social media, text messaging, email, or good old-fashioned word of mouth. I would appreciate the favor. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to
0: Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.
1: There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away